The Tea Health Show, your medical lifestyle podcast, brought to you by the Tea Clinic. Good morning, I'm Dr. Mark. This is the Tea Health Show, and in studio, as always, we have Sister Elise van Art. Um, and then our latest new addition to the Tea Clinic team, Sister Elena Mitchell. Elena, good morning and welcome. Good morning. Thank you very much. Our producer today, I don't know, some peewee is a little bit under the weather. So we have our trusty stand-in, Ryan. Morning, Ryan. Morning, Dr. Mark. How are you? Can't complain. Thank you. It's been a while. It has been. Um, Sister Elise was just complaining that they had to drive in the dark this morning. <laughs> oh. You know, at least it wasn't that cold because of the rain last night. So, um, for the past couple of weeks, we have been talking about detoxing the mind and the body. And then in last week specifically, we spoke about metabolic disease. So, um, Ryan, did you listen to us last week? Uh, I- I'm not sure if I caught that one. I think I caught the tail end of it. Okay, so let's just quickly recap on metabolic disease. So metabolic disease or metabolic syndrome is a combination of conditions which includes elevated blood pressure, a change in cholesterol levels, specifically the LDL, that cholesterol that elevates, or triglycerides, those three fatty acids. And then we have a change in our sugar levels, increase uh, blood glucose, and an increase in insulin levels. And one of the first signs, and probably the only visible sign, is weight gain, specifically abdominal weight gain. And Sister Elise, we we actually grouped a couple of other conditions um, with bullies, um, with uh, metabolic disease. Some of them people are familiar with and some not. Um, yes, and we spoke about polycystic ovarian. Yes, um, for, for, for women. For women. And then... And um, sleep apnea was one of the other ones. Yeah, hypogonadism, hypogonadism. which the T-Clinic specialize in and changes in hormone levels. And then one that people don't often know that they have, and it goes together with a cholesterol... And that's the non-alcoholic fatty liver syndrome. Correct. Yeah. Um, where changes that happens in liver and enzymes and uh, hormones um, start playing a role on on decreasing the liver's ability to do its function. Now, today we want to actually take each of these um, individual individual conditions. Actually, they aren't diseases in their own right and um, talk about how we can manage them because metabolic disease is one of the fastest growing diseases and it's responsible for cardiovascular problems like heart attacks and stroke, the development of diabetes, um, obesity which is a chronic condition which leads to both of the previous two um, kidney disease. And obviously kidney disease. Yeah. So um, where shall we start? Shall we start with hypertension? Yes, let's go. Okay. Um, Ryan. Yes. What is hypertension? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me. And I, I, I have no, no description for it. Okay. Hypertension, high blood pressure. Okay. So how often do you monitor your blood pressure? So... 
I don't I don't check it often enough, but I I get phone calls from my mother saying that I have to check it. How often, often is often enough? So for me, I'd probably check it once or twice a year if I'm not feeling well. But my mom checks hers regularly and phones me still. Okay, so um, how do you feel about that? I'm 27 years old. Does she tell you which underwear suits your socks? No, not no. not yet. Oh, he doesn't wear underwear. <laughs> okay, so in your family, yes, is there a history of people with high blood pressure? Uh, not not that I know. Is there a history of people in your family, aunts, uncles, grandparents, who died of heart attacks and or had strokes? Uh, so I, I have I have a a non blood related relative yep. who who I treat as family, but other than that, not in my direct family. Okay, so the definition, according to the um, American Cardiology or Cardiac Society, um, and this is now widely accepted, right. is a sustained blood pressure of a 140, that's the top measurement. We call that the systolic blood mm-hmm. pressure mm-hmm. over 90, which is a diastolic blood pressure. Um, so I'm going to refer to our two colleagues, uh, Sistelian and Sistelis. Um You guys have more than 60 years <laughs> experience Working with patients in hospitals between the two of you, more than 60 years, I actually want to say it's even more than that. Um, are you starting to see a change in the trend if we just look at what's happening in our office, that people are presenting more and more with hypertension? I want to start off with to say that people are not aware of their blood pressures. And that's something that we discussed previously as well, is this simple tests that you self-test that you can do on a regular basis and one is checking your blood pressure um, we've seen an elevation in blood pressures I want to say in 90% of the patients that comes through our door and how do we manage that or how do we we monitor that is first of all I want to say they are shocked when we say but you have an elevated blood pressure and then we say to them, go home, measure it for a week long and come back with a reading so that one can manage it from there. So, yes, I don't know, Elena, if you can add something. Yes, to I agree. And I think it's also a lot to do with lifestyle. And then also people are ignorant about their family histories. They think, oh, well, my dad's got hypertension. It's in the family. It cannot happen to me. But unfortunately, it does. And we see younger and younger patients coming in with hypertension these days. Yeah, I, I have to agree there with you. If um, what we do in our practice, like any medical practice should be doing, and 90% of doctors I've seen do this, is the first thing that they do when a patient comes into the offices. This is how we were all trained. I think you you, you guys as well. The first thing that you do is you take a, 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 a listen to the patient's blood pressure. And we have seen an exponential rise in patients who we refer 
because of sustained blood pressures above 140 over 90. Um, and it's shocking to see that it's young patients who are fit, healthy, active, and hypertension, unfortunately, is a silent killer. So how does hypertension play a role in metabolic disease? Um, Sister Elise, uh, right? So I I just want to ask, I'm assuming from this conversation that hypertension is genetic. Not necessarily. No. Um, you know what? I think if you, if you have a family, a strong family history of hypertension, um, you definitely predisposed. But, um, Helena said it in her answer. Hypertension is more to do with lifestyle than anything right. else. Okay. But I must also say, my son, from the age of 19, um, has got hypertension. And we picked it up. He was healthy. He went to um, rugby academy. And mm. then all of a sudden, his heart rate, when he went, went on to the dead monster, heart rate went up and everything. So the doctors did everything. So he's, he's, he's head hereditary, his blood pressure. Yeah. It's, it's quite interesting that you say that because very often in patients with hypertension, we find that they have an elevated uh, heart rate. So I think that could be a very, very easy screening test. Normal heart rate is somewhere between 72 beats and, you know, but I would say maximum 80 beats a minute. Yeah, I always, because of my ICU background, I would say between that your normal limit, 60 to 100. So from there, for me, in, in that measurement, it can be from... 60 to 100 sometimes it, uh, it can be below but but for me the the guideline 60 to 100 okay sister elise went on to her trusted quip note google <laughs> what did you learn on google well um your question was how how does hypertension play a role in metabolic syndrome and that is all about google says um are very complicated uh and remain still obscure but visceral and central obesity in insulin resistance and sympathetic overactivity oxidative stress is where you get your hypertension from in metabolic syndrome so that's very complicated okay so i'm going to dumb it down for yes okay and the reason why we say that hypertension is predominantly lifestyle-based, um, it's what we eat so and um, how we sleep and how we stress. So let's think about the stress response. Mm-hmm. So if I'm walking in the bush and suddenly there's a lion, the first thing that happens is your neurotransmitters um, elevates epinephrine. So that's your sympathetic nervous system. Sympathetic nervous system works on activation. And how it activates that nervous system is through the release of epinephrine, which is also known as adrenaline. So when you, when you have a fright, immediately your adrenaline levels spike. And what it does 
is it immediately leads to vasoconstriction, which elevates the blood pressure, and it immediately releases glucose into the bloodstream. Okay, but let's talk about the vasoconstriction. In in dumber than dumber terms, is it takes the blood away from the peripheral areas like your arms, legs, etc., and takes the blood to the vital organs. So it sends blood to your muscles and to your brain so that you can react. Okay. Now, the second phase of your stress reaction is where your hormones, and here we look at the adrenals, um, kick in even harder. And that's when your pituitary gland, which is basically the control center in your brain, releases um, cortisol from your adrenal glands. And what cortisol is responsible for, it's responsible for controlling blood pressure and blood glucose. And what it does is it elevates both of them. Again, this is that slight fight reaction. For you to fight or flee, you need to be able to react quickly. Therefore, your blood is pumped away from things like your gut, etc., etc., to the brain and the muscles. The problem that we have in today's uh, society and in our lifestyle today is we are constantly stressed, and that elevates blood pressure on a continuous basis through the action of adrenaline and cortisol. Now, all these blood vessels now become injured. It's like our roads. Um, too many traffic or too much traffic on the road, it gets damaged. And the road deteriorates, and now the road becomes dangerous. We have potholes, and what happens when you hit the pothole? Um you get stuck right. there. So blood does exactly the same. So it increases your clotting, et cetera, et cetera. So does that make sense? I just, I just wanted to ask, is it kind of like if you stop stressing for a while, if you, if you take it easy, is it repairable? Or once the damage is done, it's permanent. If you can find a way that we can stop stressing, please tell us all. <laughs> so, um, this is, I think, where the other lifestyle factors really come into its own um, sleep because the body does repair while you're sleeping. Um, it's a wonderful way of repairing the brain, muscle, tissue, blood vessels, etc., etc. But none of us are getting good quality sleep. Or um, it's very interesting. There was a study that I read, um, I think, a day or two ago, um, about sleep and sleep apnea and there's only 10% of adults that get enough sleep. 10% of adults get good quality seven hours sleep. That's frightening. I'm not one of those 10% by the way. What's good quality? Are you talking like REM sleep? Good quality of sleep is when you go through all your five sleep cycles. So you have stage one, two, three, four, and REM in regular intervals. 
um, because this is where the brain um, gets cleaned and washed and where you form memories and where you process information, where you purge a useless stuff from the brain um, and when neurological tissue repairs and therefore because the body is slowing down, the brain is um, picking up its space in which it works, um, <clears throat> the body has time to repair. This is where your immune system repairs, right. um, where your gut lining repairs, etc., etc. Okay, so how do we manage hypertension? Where do we start? Um, we start with change of lifestyle. Change of lifestyle means starts with exercising or um, your diet. Especially diets, relax, re relaxation, meditation, which you promote a lot with these patients. Um, and then, unfortunately, medication at the end of the day, if, if yes. you are being um, monitored and it, it, it stays the same, it ends up on your medication and you need to be compliant on your medication. So... One of the problems that we face in practice is we have so many patients who come in as um, identified hypertensive patients on medication um, and they on a tablet. Now, usually that's not good enough. Why? Because the patients aren't aware that they have to monitor the blood pressure continuously. Um, both of you, Elise and Eliana, you've been working in ICU. Um, uh, Elise, you were working in theater. How difficult is it to actually control a patient's blood pressure? It really is difficult, don't you agree? We find, Eliana, uh, from an ICU perspective specifically, it's very difficult to control a patient's blood pressure with just one drug. Yes, sometimes you're lucky to get away with one drug. But, I mean, if you have patients with severe hypertension, they really need more, one, more than one drug. So because at the end of the day, the thing that um, hypertension also causes is uh, uh, the big thing, and people don't realize it, is um, kidney failure. Kidney failure, absolutely. That's, the, that what, that's what happened, and that's the big cause of kidney failure these days. Is hypertension. is hypertension, especially undiagnosed hypertension, and because we aren't aware of it. Low blood pressure. No, I mean, hypertension is, I think, better than your your hypertension. Look, you also pump enough blood, but I mean, um, it's it's not as dangerous as your um, hypertension because your heart needs to work so much harder. Um, your arteries are uh, narrowing with your with blood pressure and it, it um and your glomerular filtration uh, filtration decreases due to your hypertension. Okay. Yeah. So um, it's difficult to manage hypertension. So I I don't want us to stay on that for too long, but suffice to say, patients should stop smoking. Number one. For high blood pressure. Sister Elise, do you agree? I don't know. <laughs> That's a question I asked you before we started. Yes, absolutely. Smoking causes 
um, narrowing of the arteries. And and this is all kinds of smoking, including those vapes and all of that kind of stuff as well. You know what? I'm I'm going to actually say yes. It's very interesting. Um, yesterday I climbed in the car, and um, I caught the tail end uh, on the news, and maybe someone can straight like me. Um, yes. Did you catch that as well? Yes, I did. They said they're going to um, ban some of these vapes, and yeah, because, because they're not regulated, and the vapes will only be available at pharmacies on prescription. Yes, I actually, I actually think that's better. Did, yeah. did you hear that one? No, I didn't. So um, uh, how much of that uh, they'll be able to implement, if anyone will be able to do it, it will be the Australians. Um, but because there's so many black market fraudulent products on the market, and some of these stuff um, are really, really dangerous, um, you don't really know what is in your vape. Mm. For one simple reason, it's not regulated. So think about cigarettes. On a packet of cigarettes, it tells you exactly what is in there and what it's going to do to you. But there's no legislation and no regulation when it comes to vapes. So yes, smoking in any form is is, is not great for me to write out. So right. smoking, physical activity. So and physical activities. Yes, uh, you know what? I'm walking a lot during the day at work. That's not increasing your physical activity. That's your normal metabolic um, or physiological activity rate, which needs to increase. Do you guys agree on that? Yeah, and for at least 30 minutes a day. That's the So 30 minutes more physical activity than your normal housework of playing with the kids or dogs. Yes. Um, then these um, dietary changes... Um, do we know of any medication that causes hypertension or any foods and stuff that cause hypertension? Salts. Sodium. Yeah. Yep. Salt. Excess amount of salt. So <laughs> we take salt out, out of our food. A long time ago, God, you, you were still playing around in diapers. Um, it was the fat to use those vegetable salts or celery salts. Celery salts. Celery salts. Um, which didn't contain as much sodium and chloride. Um, did you ever do that? Elise no, got a no, disgusted I don't look know of her it. I don't know. Yeah, in those years, yeah, it was celery salts and uh, what's the other one that they use in Malay? Now it's in Malayan salts. But salt, but it's sodium is salt. salt. So diet, lifestyle, reduce your stress levels, get a good enough sleep, and then medication. And the biggest thing that we can say about medication is you need to monitor your blood pressure at least two or three times a week at different times of the day. Yeah. Okay. Um, Sphinx manometers are available at all your leading pharmacies online. I recommend to my patients for home screening a wrist cuff because it's easy to use. It's accurate and it gives us an indication. If a blood pressure is above 140 over 90, consult your medical practitioner. Um, supplementation that we have for blood pressure. Uh, Cecilis, can you think of anything? Um, we're missing Divya. She would have told us immediately. I think, um, maybe berberine. I know. Yeah. Berberine would go. It would go. Look at, so for the cholesterol, but I mean, it's a vasodilator. So. Niacinamide, um, um, yeah. nicotinamide as well, and then Lion's Mane, a new product um, 
lion's mane, which comes from a mushroom, uh, as as an anti-inflammatory. It also works on the interstitial inflammation. Okay, so let's move on to the next one. Um, cholesterol. The problem with cholesterol is that, again, if you don't test for it, you don't know it. So high cholesterol in your family? Uh, I... <laughs> Now, I know, I know you mentioned earlier that people are unaware of um, family histories. I know the main ones, but I'm, I think high cholesterol is one. I'm not entirely sure. Okay. I've, Have you had your cholesterol tested other than just a finger prick test for discovery? I, I think so. But it was, it was not recently, probably a couple of years ago, because I had, I had bad cholesterol a couple of years ago. You had I think it? you had to be honest, uh, to be honest, it hasn't been it hasn't been a major thing that I've checked. So it's not. I don't think if it if it was bad, it wasn't it wasn't anything that I can remember. If I remember correctly, your father has elevated cholesterol levels. Yes. Okay. So don't you think you should test yours? I I probably I probably should. <laughs> I know I I know my mom's on a on a similar thing as well because she's also got like a a fatty liver thing, and I think the I don't know if it goes hand in hand. Absolutely. Cholesterol and fatty liver changes go hand in hand. Right. Absolutely. So, yes, then it's definitely, then it's definitely in my family. Yes. Um, Sister Elise, it's something that I think, um, and Helena, uh, when we look at our patients' results, how many of our patients percentage wise have normal cholesterol? Sure. About 20%. If that, if that, that. yes. Um, And here again, in our practice, we see patients of all ages, all races, and um, all health conditions, all phenotypes, which means your physical attributes to the body. And um, it's very interesting that we can see patients that weigh 120 with a normal cholesterol. And then we have someone... Um, a lady who is uh, 1.6 meters tall and weighs 55 kilograms with high cholesterol. So cholesterol is, is something that we look at. And last week we discussed the different types of cholesterol. You have the apparently good cholesterol, which is referred to as HDL, which should be above 1.6 for it to to really be a good level. LDL cholesterol, which is your bad cholesterol, or low-density lipoproteins, which should be below 3. And then your triglycerides, which refers to free fats, um, which should be below 7. And what we actually do is we look at the total cholesterol and the ratio between good cholesterol, uh, bad cholesterol, etc., etc. And the most easily used ratio is the ratio between your total cholesterol and your good cholesterol, HDL, which should be below four. Right. Um, now, cholesterol leads to the formation of plaques in our blood vessels. And that leads to obstruction. And the biggest problem with that is think about a scab that's sitting on your knee after you have a grass burn. Now, when you start bending your knee, that plaque cracks. If you think about scab, um, or you pick at it, and then it starts bleeding again. Have you have you ever done that? Are you stupid enough? I do that all the yes, time. Yes, always. Okay. And what happens then? That thing takes longer to heal. It creates more inflammation and redness, 
Um, and that is and where is the underlying tissue. Underlying tissue, and that's where you get vascular disease. And if these plaques come loose, especially the ones that sit in your carotid arteries, etc., they go to the brain, and that's where we often find strokes. Oh wow! Heart attacks, etc., etc. It also has a role to play in erectile function for men, um, and vascular deficiencies and the incompetence in the legs where you start getting swelling of the legs and discoloration. So, um, how often do we test our cholesterol systoles? How often would you say? Well, once a year at least. And what way would we use? Do you think a finger prick that no, this gives us good enough? No, not enough. It's definitely not enough. It can be an indication that something is wrong, but don't ignore it then. You know, if you are at the higher level of what normal cholesterol is on a finger prick, I suggest that you go and do a proper lipogram. Lipogram at mm. a laboratory. Are they included in most um, medical aids? Yes. Um, look, I uh, we can get into a debate about medical aids and you know what whether they're good or bad um but uh, i think depending on which um which one you're on medical aid and which program and what your benefits are we should at least be paid out of your medical savings account um cholesterol elevated cholesterol is one of the conditions we to which we describe as minimum Prescribe benefits. Um, yeah, but I think it should not be paid from your prescribe minimum benefit. Yeah. We, if cholesterol is elevated, um, because it has so many negative things um, and negative effects, it this is something that your practitioner then um, puts you on to chronic medication. Um, and uh, just think about this: cholesterol medication is something that you will be able to get from government from the state if you go to a government institution and it's paid for right so um your your minimum prescribed uh, or prescribed minimum benefit conditions are uh, things like hypertension elevated cholesterol diabetes etc etc so these you can just go and get this. you can go and no, you, can, just... you can go to your local government state owned clinic mm. And have it tested, and if it's high, you can get your medication from there. You do not have to be on a medical aid. This can be done and should be done um, through our um, government health policies. It's very difficult these days. I, you know, that is the problem. Unfortunately. Okay, managing cholesterol levels. Where do we start with that? Don't Same place. Yeah, lifestyle, lifestyle changes. changes. Yeah. The one thing definitely is dietary changes, limited saturated fats intake, um, and then also exercise. Inactivity is a huge thing. It makes sense because it goes and sits, the fatty deposits goes and sits in your um, arteries, etc. And um, that is that can be managed with exercise. And stress levels. That's yeah. a big thing. So I, I'm assuming no, no takeaways, no, you have to eliminate it's all fast food. Well, it's not all about balance. I'm actually going to disagree with you. 
Um, I think certain takeaways, um, and there was a, a very interesting paper that was published um, on which is the healthiest takeaways in South Africa, and it actually came back that Nando's um, Nando's chicken is one of the the healthier options that healthier. you can have. So you know what I think, Kauai, um with your your plant-based wraps and stuff like that's also not a bad option. But you know what, if you are going to have a burger, um, you know what, don't have a bacon cheeseburger. Have um and uh, avocado burger or a bunless burger. So so essentially what we're saying is try and move over to fresh foods. Absolutely. So fresh a better fresh option of takeaways. Right. Okay. Okay. Um Cholesterol, again, silent killer. If you are not aware of it, you won't know that you have it. I'm going to give you my family history, for instance. My father had his first heart attack at the age of 40 while he was on a sports field. Um, and he wasn't playing bowls. Um, and when they had our whole family tested, at the age of 16, my cholesterol levels were 9. Um, when my sister, who's 10 years younger than me, at the age of 13, uh, when my father had his second heart attack, um, her cholesterol was 13. Um, now, uh, CJ works in our office. You would never say that a tiny little girl like that would have elevated cholesterol levels. Um, it is something that family history definitely plays a role in. Um, you have a condition called familial hypercholesterolemia, um, and then you have other dyslipidemias uh, where things are a problem. But here we are looking like other causal factors, alcohol abuse, um, excessive use of alcohol, even recreational drugs that damage uh, the liver where cholesterol is formed. Cholesterol is essential for us, but um, you know what? It's only essential... To, well, it's essential to a degree because all our hormones come from it. One of the other causes of elevated cholesterol levels, Elise, is uh, menopause. Yes, definitely. And um, that is something very interesting because our sex hormones, which is estrogen, testosterone, etc., is being made by cholesterol. And if we have elevated cholesterol levels, then we know that and um how do we say lower sex hormone levels then we know there's a dysfunction between the two um we get elevated cholesterol levels with most of our patients that we see and then we can know that the sex hormones will be not sufficient and they have a hypogonadism which is one of the signs of metabolic disease. But the same happens for men yeah. as well. Um, Ryan, who's got a higher incidence of heart attacks or strokes, men or women? I want to say men, but I feel like it's a trick question. <laughs> okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say to you, under the age of 50, who's got a higher risk of heart attacks or strokes, men or women? I'm still on the go with men. Men, absolutely correct. After the age of 50? Would it be women? But you know what? Women have a 15% lower incidence of heart attacks or strokes until they hit menopause. And then their risk 
increases. One in nine women will die because of a heart attack or a stroke. Really? After the age of 50, which is the age that we identify as menopausal age. Mm. And that's specifically due to the effect of increased cholesterol due to lower estrogen levels. What's the jump about? 15%. Oh, it's 15. Which is incredibly high. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. Which is incredibly high. Yeah. Um, Sister Eliana, um, when we look at kidney function, um, men or women, who's got the worst kidney function? Um, you know what? I, I treated mostly men, men patients. The male patients were the highest, uh, more, more than, than in, and the men. And the cause? Hypertension. Hypertension was mostly, uh, the, the diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, that's the, the two. And sometimes it's hereditary, but mostly hypertension. Yeah. And diabetes. Hereditary causes of kidney, um, f- kidney problems are rare. Very you know, rare. What, very rare actually. Less than 5% of patients, um, with, uh, kidney failure has a hereditary condition. It's usually either a traumatic incident or causes due to lifestyle, uh, hypertension, diabetes, the use of medication, um, specifically antihypertensive medication. And and also lifestyle meaning like the kind of job you work. I'm assuming absolutely like the amount of stress you induce it's based on all about it. stress. Yeah. So uh, again, if you can figure out a way that we all live without stress, uh, please do so. <laughs> um, I think if we look at uh, supplementation that's freely available for patients to help lower cholesterol levels. Um, Sister Elise, what are the ones that you can think um, about? Elena mentioned berberine. Yeah. And then there is CoQ10 that increases Absolutely. your liver function, which helps with li- lipid metabolism. Um, can I, can I just interject there? Um, patients who are on any form of a statin, whether it's a plant-based statin, whether it's synthetic prescription medication, what happens is because of a statin, they stop the production of coenzyme Q10 or suppress the production of coenzyme Q10 in the liver. So if you are on a statin, you have to supplement with coenzyme Q10. Yeah. Sure. What can you add supplement-wise? Supplement-wise, um, you know, but milk thistle to help with, with liver function. Milk okay. thistle is good um, for that uh, purpose. Um, what about anti- vitamin Bs? Absolutely. Uh, vitamin Bs are essential. It helps with liver function as well. Here we're looking at um, cyanocobalamine. Uh, we're looking at niacin, um, and all of those. So B3, B6, B12. Yes. Uh, B9 also plays a role. Folic acid and folates, mm-hmm. uh, also important. So your folates are more the B12s. Yes. Um, thiamine, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if we take a look at the difference, two different types of cholesterol medication on the market, we have our statins. Now, these are 
huge debate about the safety of statins. You guys are aware of that? Where statins cause um, side effects and, you know, what uh, long term, long term side effects um, of, of statin use. which, you know what, uh, we, we don't really have a way around it. The only other option that we have are the fibrates. And fibrates work more on lowering triglyceride levels yes. than anything else. Um, a healthy diet can include lots of grains um, that help fresh fruit like berries. Fresh fruit, will will um, Decreasing the amount of fat that you get in your meat. So um, here we're looking at more going over to fish and chicken and pork and a game rather than red meat. Can, can I ask, um, does being vegan have any any positive effects to this? Or would you recommend you need things like fish and chicken and for the proteins? Well, no. Um, you know what? Vegans, I actually think I have a quite healthy lifestyle when it comes to cholesterol. Um, did you guys ever see that um, documentary that was on Netflix um, where they take um, Olympic athletes um, and they changed them over to plant-based diets. They made them vegan um, and how their performance increased. I can't remember what it was called. Um, is it the game changes? The game changes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we always thought for you to, uh, keep muscle growth and muscle strength and size, you, you needed, um, animal protein. And it's, it's exactly the opposite. Okay. You know what? You can, you can control and grow and be healthy with a, a, a good plant-based diet. Lots of our plants, tofu, all of those, uh, your legumes. Um, Do you need a protein supplement or you can go with You that? can get vegan protein supplements. Right. Um, Ceciliana would say to you, patients with decreased kidney function, one of the biggest problems that they have is excessive amount of, of protein. Okay. When we have a patient with um, kidney problems, we decrease Protein intake, Elena? Yeah, you do. Um, but sometimes the patients on dialysis also, that I've, I've seen, has also got low, their proteins are low again. But in the beginning, when you, um, proteins are high, yeah. So proteins uh, get partially absorbed mm. through the kidneys. So if you, if you have too much protein, you overwork the kidney. Right. And eventually the kidney has, has, uh, no capacity to reabsorb this, and now you start losing protein. So you have protein in your urine, which is a bad sign. It's like having sugar in your urine. Yeah. So actually, that that makes it for a very interesting um, thing that we can do at home, and that's just doing a urine dipstick, which you can um, buy at your local pharmacy, and um, it's a nice screening test that you can do every so often. Yeah, for glucose, blood, or those you will be able to interpret it properly. Yeah, well, you know, everything is on the bottle. Yeah. So okay. it's color coded. It's not that bad. <laughs> okay. So, and everybody doesn't understand it. So, yeah. so let's talk about sugar, controlling oh. blood glucose. How do we do that? What sugar? Hmm. Reduce it, I'm assuming. Exactly. So what does that boil down to? Lifestyle. Lifestyle. 
everything is about everything is about lifestyle lifestyle when we talk about metabolic disease it's all about lifestyle how do we manage metabolic disease control your lifestyle so um elena um your mother your father has been diabetic you worked a lot with diabetics um what is one of the first signs of a patient becoming a diabetic you know and i've got this thirst and con- um uh, uh thirst, frequent urination um blurred vision um neuropathy pains in the legs and the feet sometimes they get that so that's but your thirst and sometimes weight loss depending on the type of thank you i was just diabetes. going to ask ryan yes. Um, put him on the spot again. Ryan, what do you think with diabetics? What's, what's a very good sign that these sugar levels are now becoming an issue? Weight gain or weight loss? Weight loss. Yeah. Patients who are progressing from a type 1 to a type 2 diabetic or suddenly develops type 1 diabetes. It's, you think that these are your obese patients? Mm. It's obese patients that suddenly lose weight. And so we're talking 5, 10 kilograms without them trying, and that's one of the first signs of diabetes is rapid weight loss. Um, diabetes is problematic for us because the sugars um, creates inflammation right through the body, specifically in small arteries. And here we are looking at the eyes, the kidneys, um, nerve tissue, brain, etc., etc. And um, you know what? Uh, I I always say, there are conditions that are bad and diabetes and hypertension being progressive diseases are probably two of the worst. Um, specifically diabetes. If you think, um, what happens to those, those patients, um, they start getting ulcers and eventually they have amputations of the toe, the foot, yeah, uh, the leg. And then, uh, you know, what they go into kidney failure, blindness. But I also think we need to differentiate between type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes. So um, we had a podcast with Dr. Martine Joffe, who is a diabetic specialist. Um, And type 1 diabetes is um, these two two of them. This is where you have an autoimmune condition that affects your beta cells, which is responsible for producing insulin in the pancreas. Now, this is usually um, a condition that develops um, in young patients before the age of 20, usually even a little bit longer. And because the pancreas cannot produce insulin, that is responsible for the transfer of glucose out of the blood into the cell, you have elevated glucose levels. Um, and then there's another condition, which is also causes type 1 diabetes, and that's late uh, or latent onset adult diabetes. Um, this is where people that were healthy until their 40s um, suddenly develop type 1 diabetes. They, were, they weren't type 2. They didn't progress from a type 2 to a type 1. They, they within a very short period of time, become a, a 
type 1 diabetic who is dependent on insulin. No, that was my, pa- my parents. That's how uh, at a late foot in the 40s. That's type 1. And when you have type 2 diabetes, type 2 diabetes is basically where you fatigue your pancreas um, and you overwork it and the factory cannot keep up with demand. And again, this is predominantly due to lifestyle, um, where you consume excessive amounts of carbohydrates and all carbohydrates break down into its base which is glucose so this is your this includes your fruit it includes sugar it includes um your bread your pastas all of those um and it is something that can be prevented um most of the time so um and how do we control that Lifestyle. Stop taking in carbohydrates. Self control. <laughs> Stop <laughs> taking in no carbohydrates. <laughs> um, what do you think is worse, continuous high sugar or spikes in sugar? I, w- I want to say continuous, but I could see how spikes could be worse because you don't maintain a. Think about load shedding. Yes. What happens to our devices and our fridges and stuff? Just, when we have power surges, right. they eventually just start melting and yeah. burn out. So the same happens in the body. It's the same principle. Continuous high sugar is incredibly bad for us because it leads to cardiovascular disease, sure. weight gain, which compounds the, the issue. Management of type uh, 2 diabetes. Type 1 diabetes I'm not going to talk about because that, that really is a specialist field. But type 2 diabetes, what are the things that we can do other than lifestyle and eating correctly and being physically more active and stopping alcohol and stopping smoking? Fuck, why do you want to live? Um, I was going to say, stopping all the fun. <laughs> I, you know what? I, no. um, things that we can add? Oh, these pharmaceutical uh, medications. medications that we can use. Um, and then... I think one need to say specifically you can turn around type 2 or insulin resistance, which will develop into type 2 diabetes if you do all the things and and use the medication and these also injections. Um, the, new, is, the new diabetic medication. The diabetic medications. That yeah. is a daily or a weekly injection. But that's very important to understand that if you start with that, you have to continue with that. Otherwise, you will go back to where you started off. Um, it's just a crutch to help you change lifestyle and to manage your sugar. And I think you have to be compliant. Not only It's not only just the medication. You have to be compliant with your lifestyle, exercise, diet. That's what I'm yeah. trying to say. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it, it seems um, that... When we talk metabolic disease, and I, I hope this became abundantly clear, that managing syndrome X or metabolic syndrome, the first step, like with so many other things, is change the lifestyle. Mm. Um, 
and we can keep on talking about that. But the thing that I see is our stress levels are elevating. Number one, um, stress is abundant around us. Just think about how our stress levels go up um, when we know that we're going from stage two load shedding, which we had over the weekend, nice, calm, relaxed, uh, to stage six later on during the week. Now we start stressing, oh, you know what, I have to get up half an hour earlier to get to work on time. Um, I'm starting to stress about how am I going to feed for kids because, you know what, uh, when I come home, there's no food to eat, so now we have to get takeaways. Uh, takeaways are expensive. How are the kids going to study? How are they going to do their homework? So those are things that we can't get around. So it's elevating. Um, and that impacts, number one, on our sleep. Mm. So now we're not sleeping. We're stressed. Right. And if you like me, when I'm bored or sitting in the dark or stressed, I crave salt, sugar, mm. and saying to, we need to, <clears throat> I beg your pardon, saying that we need to implement lifestyle changes, I think, is the most difficult thing to do. It's far easier to take a tablet. The problem is that medication have side effects. Uh, side effects on your kidneys, on your liver, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, becoming active, ugh, you know what? It's dark, um, six o'clock in the morning. Um, so I don't want to get up at six o'clock in the morning. At the moment, it's not cold, but when it's cold, it's going to be even more difficult to get up at six o'clock in the morning. And at five o'clock in the afternoon, it's dark again. So now I have to go run on a treadmill in the gym with other sweaty <laughs> people in the dark and come out in the cold. So it becomes difficult. How do we do this? How do we make it easier for ourselves? Do you guys have any suggestions? Because I'm running into a brick wall every time I think about this. I think what's important is to understand that people can become despondent with all the pressures from outside. And um, an approach of understanding and maybe just help them a little bit over that Initial resistance or despondency um, is, I think, key of making lifestyle changes or before making lifestyle changes. And that's what we aim to do is just to give them a little bit of, okay, we are here. This is how we're going to start it. Tackle it one problem by one problem and be there to support and be there to help along the way. I, I think what you said there is incredibly important. It's not only the, uh, the willpower of yeah. the patient. It's the support of the family. Um, think about it. If you want to go on diet in your family and the family is not on board, uh, Stefan, there's no encouragement. Um, I, I cannot eat sweets because I'm a diabetic and I'm an absolute chocoholic. Now, in my office, we put stuff in place because I can go through a packet of Quality Street in a day. So what we have done is we place chocolates on all our artwork 
in the office and as long as the chocolate stays there, you guys don't know that I change them every day. No, you don't. <laughs> we can um, see we open it, it's white already. <laughs> so um, that I don't eat it. But if you do not have a support at home, you're going to fail. So I think that's where you start. The whole family needs to be on board. And it doesn't need to be starvation diets. Um, it can be healthy, quick to prepare, uh, whole foods, which is far more affordable. Um, and you know what? Here you can get your kids involved. Do a, do a little, um, Salad, help. garden, uh, a vegetable garden. Um, you know what? It gets the kids out, it gets her into nature. Um, the other thing that we need to talk about is obesity. Which is probably the chicken egg thing. Does obesity cause hypertension, diabetes, and elevated cholesterol levels? Or do the cholesterol levels, hypertension, and diabetes cause obesity? I don't have the answer. <laughs> I don't think there is an answer. Yeah. What we know is if we, um, obesity weight gain was, is classified as a chronic disease and therefore it should be managed as a disease. Um, it's chronic. Um, ask anyone that's gone on to a 12 week weight loss program, um, where they rapidly lose weight, whether a year later they've managed to maintain the weight. Um, the new prescription weight loss medications that are available on the market, the studies have shown that once you stop that medication within a year, you've gained the weight again. So patients lose 35 kilograms, stop the medication, and a year later they've gained all the weight again. So it all boils down again to weight loss and management of lifestyle. So, um, Ryan, you haven't given me the lasso, so I'll do it myself. Um, we are running out of time. So, um, let's just quickly catch up on metabolic disease and then we won't talk about it for a, for a while. Metabolic disease is predominant in our society. It's one of the fastest growing conditions, especially amongst African people, sub-Saharan African people, for a simple reason. They're changing the way that they're living. They're becoming less active. They're changing their diets to fast foods, etc., etc., uh, physical activity is, is declining. And therefore, um, we are changing our, um, genotypes, um, and phenotypes. So if you want to know what genotypes and phenotypes is, Google it. Um, it's interesting. I can't read it all now. Um, there is help. Um, it's something that you can do at home. Monitor this if you have a family history of elevated cholesterol levels, thyroid issues in your family, hypertension, cardiovascular disease. If you are going through menopause or the perimenopausal period, um, if you are someone that like to indulge over weekends or during the week in alcohol, uh, smoking, etc., etc., just be aware of a con, um, the consequences. You don't have to change it, but be aware of him so that when things do go wrong, there are interventions that can be done. Do any one of you ladies uh, want to add anything? No, I'm not. Thank you. Ryan, questions? 
um comments no i think uh i think that's pretty good in mind i just i just know it's it's a it's a big lifestyle change i think you know change for anyone is is the reason why it doesn't happen because it's it's changed. It's we don't pain. like change. No one likes Everything. changes. Exactly. We don't like it. And so I know with, as you know, with my father's, um, you know, recent, uh, health issues that have come up, we've had to change diets. And it's. What's it difficult? Very. Because. Is it easier now? Now, now that we know. Because we, my dad spent a lot of time researching it. And, uh, you know, we, we now make meals that are, you know, for, for mainly, him and mom and my mom but like uh now we all kind of on the diet. so is the food still nice and tasty it is but we had to learn new recipes and new ingredients and spend a little more money on fresher food and change actually where we shopped because where we shop the food doesn't stay fresh as long so you have to go somewhere where the where the food stays fresh for a little longer so i think i think that's that's what i'm gathering from I, I think one of the biggest boring, the biggest things that you can do, and if you can only do this, just the one change, you are doing incredibly well, and that's cut out sugar mm. in all forms. So that's refined sugar. It's even things like honey. If you really want to do something, maple syrup maybe is a better option than honey and syrup. And um, you know what? The, one of the biggest culprits is artificial sweetness. Oh, and um, I'm looking it. at your prime hydration <laughs> drink um, here. And um, healthy it's, it's, it smells sweet. So, you know what? I presume it tastes sweet. <laughs> um, and it's got artificial sweetness like sucralose, which is um, an aspartame and xylitol. And none of them are healthy. Mm. Okay. Guys, um, next week we will be back. And for the life of me, I have no idea what we're talking about. No, actually, I do. Um, we are um, going to explore um, over the next couple of weeks two um, topics. The first one is menopause. We we actually going to see what is menopause, what the different stages how we can manage it and why we should manage menopause and menopausal symptoms. And the other one, which Sister Elise is dying for us to do, is late onset or delayed puberty in boys. So join us over the next couple of weeks for those very interesting discussions. Until next time, we wish you all the best in health. That was the Tea Health Show, empowering you with knowledge. Download all previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. The Tea Health Show is brought to you by Tea Clinic.